I'm going to invite all of you this morning to take your Bibles, if you would please, and to turn to Romans chapter 3. As you're turning, I do have a couple quick words. <clears throat> First of all, not only is it great to see you, as I've already mentioned, but my prayer is this, that when you come on Sunday morning and you receive the word, I know as an elder team we pray, that this is taken with you throughout the entire week. Some of you have committed, by God's grace, to be diligent in your study of Romans. Uh, even to the point of reading through it every day or even twice a week, reading through the book of Romans. And I want to encourage you not to let that go. Continue on in your venture. Today we close out Romans chapter 3. By God's grace, we'll get to the end of Romans chapter 3. And I want to encourage you, keep on in this journey for this next year. Because I truly believe that God will grow us every day as we interact with this wonderful book, the book of Romans. Um, also, a couple other quick things. I know Griff mentioned these things, but I would encourage you, in two weeks, we have what's known as our Body Life Sunday. That's where we come together and enjoy communion together, the Lord's Supper. We'll enjoy baptisms together. There's a number of baptisms that will happen that day, and I hope you can come and enjoy that. That's in two weeks. We'll also take some time on that day. I'll, I'll kind of veer away from Romans for that particular day, and we're going to talk about what body life looks like. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. What does it mean to serve in the body of Christ, to serve and to be served, to actually live out what our sign says? Our sign in front, Cross Point Community Church, says to love God and love others. So how does that flesh its way out in the body of Christ? So we'll talk some of that on uh, the 29th. But also this, mark your calendars, September 12th. Uh, we're going to have fun fellowship activity that evening. Uh, we'll, it'll kind of revolve around the pig roast that we're going to have. And then also, for those who want to stay, we're hoping to do some type of a, of a family movie night that night out in the courtyard. Uh, but you are welcome to come and encouraged to come and enjoy some fellowship that night. And then September 15th. Uh, is when we will start, it's a Wednesday night, we will start our family discipleship classes where we're hoping for an hour to an hour and a half on Wednesday nights, everyone can come and be encouraged, especially those parents like myself that we're making it one day at a time by God's grace. And we need others to pray for us. We need others to hold us up, to encourage us. Our teens need that. We'll be starting launching our teen group for the fall and spring. Our teens need that. Our children need that. So be uh, aware of that happening uh, coming soon. All right, so here we are back in Romans. We'll take the next 40, 45 minutes uh, to three hours, whatever time God leads us to today. Probably closer to 40, 45 minutes, but we're going to jump into Romans chapter 3. If you're new with us, we're just taking one little section at a time and walking through Romans. At the same time, we're trying to keep in mind what the big picture of Romans is. The key theology of Romans, the biblical theology of Romans. Keeping in mind the context of all of this. Regularly, we, regularly we talk about Paul's objectives here. In Romans, today we are going to continue our discussion on this wonderful key word in theology. It is the word justification. This morning, and you can look in the back of your handout, you will notice this in the green. 
justification's objectives. We'll be working through verses 25 through 31 of Romans chapter 3. So before we get into this, though, a quick review. Two weeks ago, we introduced what is this word, this concept of justification. Okay, so one of those Christianese words, right? I mean, we hear it often, but sometimes we need to stop and think, what exactly does that mean? This Christianese we talk about, you know, justification, sanctification, glorification, redemption, all of this stuff. What do they mean? Well, we want to remind ourselves regularly of this amazing word in theology and the amazing concept behind it. Justification. What is this? Well, in very simple terms that we've talked about, here it is. It is a declaration of righteousness. Okay. So as we talked a couple weeks ago, this word is a legal word. So right now we can enter into the courtroom. This justification, this legal term, and what's the picture here? Here's the picture. It is of a helplessly guilty convict standing before the judge. A judge who has just said, condemned. And this helplessly guilty convict convict, the only thing they can possibly say is help. Help. And then someone enters into the courtroom. This is beautiful. This person enters into the courtroom and says, I can help. And here's how I'm going to help. I am going to take all of the condemnation meant for this convict. I am going to take all of this on myself. I will now be condemned. And I will now take this condemnation on myself to deal with the penalty of this convict's condemnation. The beauty of all of this is this is the judge's own son. Think of this. It is our Lord Jesus Christ. As we stand in this courtroom condemned before a holy God, all of the arguments have been presented, all of the evidence has come forth, and there's only one clear verdict, and here's the verdict. Guilty beyond any doubt. Guilty. And Jesus Christ comes into the picture by His amazing grace. He shed His blood on the cross of Calvary, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. And now, He's standing there, taking on, as as we see on the cross, the, the blood, His own blood. He's taken on Himself our condemnation, our sin. And now, what is... What is the declaration of a righteous God in this situation? He stands there and he says, he took your penalty, so now you are free. You are righteous. He's passed on his righteousness to you. My brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a theological concept that we've got to hold on to with all we've got, this justification. 
Every single one of us. And this really is the point. I mean, Romans chapter 3 that we're in right now, verses 21 to 31, comes on the heels of Romans 1.18 to 3.20. And why do we need, why do we need Romans 3.21 to the end? Because Romans 1 to 3 is in the Bible. We need it. We need justification because here's the point of the first three chapters of Romans. Every single human being deserves God's righteous condemnation because every single human being is a sinner. It's undeniable, unarguable. Every single sinner stands before God And on his own account, he has no answer. Truly, as we see in Romans 2 and 3, his mouth has been shut. We desperately need help. We need God to step in. We need the God-man, Jesus Christ. And then as we enter into verse 21, as we saw two weeks ago, we, we see busting onto the seam in verse 21, two words, but now. While you were sinners, we find in chapter 5, it'll review this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. I love this because it's not, hey, get your act together. And then you'll find the love of God. No, it is while you were sinners, Christ died for you. Christ died for us. So, we find this word justification, this declaration of righteousness. Last time we met and we studied Romans 3, we talked about these clear terms. You remember this. Okay, so we don't get the opportunity to create our own terms for justification. Which, by the way, any number of modern cults or world religions does that. They lay out the groundwork for, we want to be justified in the sight of God, so here's how we want it. This, this, and that. Well, what are our terms, and by the way, where do we get these terms? No other place than the Holy Word of God. And in Romans chapter 3, we find these clear terms, as we talked of. The terms are salvation, justification is only by God's grace. It is not by earning. It is only in Jesus Christ, no other person. And it is only through faith, not works. This is what we talked about last time. The clear, clear, crystal clear of terms for justification. These answer the very clear how of justification. But now today we want to ask another question because this is beautiful. Paul, by God's grace through the Spirit, transitions straight from the how of justification into a wonderful discussion on why. Why does this happen? Why did God do it this way? You ever thought about that? Why this? Okay, if you've thought about this, and you've thought about the incarnation, we're talking about God Almighty sending Himself in the form of a human to be incarnated in the flesh, to live a perfect life, and to die a sacrificial death on the cross. Have you ever thought about 
that, I mean, we, again, we take this as Christianese, as, as something we always think about. How many, I mean, if we're just honest with this, it's kind of an awkward plan. <laughs> if you put yourself back in the first century with all, this, uh, all of these gods, Roman and Greek gods, and you're thinking about how they flex regularly, and now you have the great Yahweh, the God of the Jews, and he has this plan from before the foundations of the world, and his plan is to send a rescuer. But hold on a second. The rescuer is going to come like a baby? To be born in a, in a cave? And then this baby's going to grow up in Nazareth? Are you kidding me? Who wants to go to Nazareth? And then this rescuer is going to be brought up by a carpenter and a humble mom, Mary. And this rescuer is going to live this humble life for 30-some years. And then he's going to start ministering. He's going to start his rule and reign by ministering to sick people, healing and feeding. What kind of a plan is this? You ever thought about that? Why this way, God? Why? In fact, if you jump over to the book of Corinth or Corinthians, you don't need to do it right now. 1 Corinthians 1, which by the way, remember, Paul wrote Romans from Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul actually says this, this whole plan to the natural person is absolute foolishness. Really, God, you would do it this way? And here's how he actually says it. It's to the natural Gentile, the natural man, a Gentile, it's foolishness. To the Jew, it's a stumbling block. In other words, we can't deal with that. That trips us up. In this natural term, that, that really trips us up. We can't figure that out. So in our minds right away, we're thinking, why this plan, God? Why did you do all of this? Well, that is the beauty of Romans chapter 3, 21 to 31, because we get a glimpse into why God did this. Why did he do it this way? I mean, I absolutely love what different commentators will say. I love what, uh, well, so many of them will say, this, is, this passage is the heart of the book of Romans. Back at the beginning of the Protestant Reformation, a fellow that you might hear of, his name is Martin Luther. <laughs> he wrote commentary on this, and even though we might not agree with all of his takes on Romans or in his theology or sanctification primarily, we would understand that there was a, God used him in a massive way to start the Reformation, <clears throat> along with others, by the way. But here's what Luther says, and here's what he, how he calls Romans 3, 21 through 31. He says... In his commentary, this is the chief point of the entire Bible. Right here. Why did God do this? Why this justification, God? Well, I want us to just read about it. And then we'll kind of unpack it for the next, well, 25, 30 minutes now. Let's unpack this, but start with reading it. Would you join me? And actually, I want to back up just a couple verses to Romans 3.23, because this launches us into this discussion. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Clearly this verdict, for all have sinned and fall short of the what? 
glory of God. Enter into the topic of very important concern, the glory of God. And no one, because of their sins, can enter into this discussion. No one can come close to the glory of God. But then we find verse 24. And are justified. Declared righteous. And how does this happen? Here's the terms. By His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. We talked of this a couple weeks ago. This is the satisfaction of God's wrath to be received, how? By faith. And now, sort of cut this verse 25 in half, and I think we run right into the why. Why did God do it this way? This was to show God's righteousness. Because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Verse 27 is very important in this discussion. It says this, Then what becomes of our boasting? (laughs) It is excluded. By what kind of law? By the law of works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is He not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. So every single one of us in this room would by God's grace say amen to that. Verse 30, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. As you read through these verses, you realize that it's very clear that this truly is the chief point of the Bible, what we're studying right now. In this section, we have both the how and the why of justification. So then, why did God do it this way? The undeniable answer would come in a form of something like this key truth. Justification is designed to highlight God's unmatched glory. We have to go there in this text. Why did God do all of this? It's the same reason He does anything. It is for His sovereign glory. Simply this, justification exists to put God's glory on display. I love this. Why did God save your soul and my soul? Here's why. To put His glory on display. To show the world of His righteousness. 
Sure, God blesses man through justification. And that really is, that's why we will hold to something like this when we talk about why does God do anything that's for his glory and our good, right? So you have that good part of it because we know that's in the scripture. But why did he do this? Sure, he does this to bless me and you. But that is not the ultimate reason he saved our souls. The ultimate reason he saved our souls is for his glory, Justification is not meant to prove how amazing I am. Justification in the scripture is for me to know how amazing God is. And that's where we go with this passage. Let's see this key truth developed through this text. What are justification's objectives? Very simply, we'll start with this one. We'll just do two today. And according to the text, justification... Its objectives is to demonstrate God's righteous character. Why did God justify us? It is to demonstrate His righteous character. Look with me, if you would, please, at verse 25. And let's see again how Paul describes this. This, all right, so if we take this, we need to remember what this is talking about. It's Christ taking God's wrath to provide justification, taking God's wrath on the cross. So this was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, okay? So what is this yelling out? This is yelling out that there is a really, really, really big God involved in justification. Justification, in fact, displays His glory, His righteousness. Twice, Paul uses the same terminology in these two verses. It is to show To show means to demonstrate something. It means to prove something. It is like a sign pointing to something else or someone else, okay? So this week dropped off my second grader uh, here at Liberty Christian School for her classes right over here. And right next door was the kindergarten class, which is a wonderful thing for new kindergartners, right? And you're launching into your school careers, right? And it was so cool because the kindergarten teacher had this down there, first day of kindergarten, balloons and everything, pointing in there. What does this sign point to? Yes, there's a class, but there's an awesome teacher here who's ready to teach these kids. Come see this teacher. Okay, brothers and sisters in Christ, not to oversimplify it, but that's what salvation is. It's a, salvation is pointing and saying, yes, there's a, a body of Christ, but this body of Christ is, in fact, the body of Christ. It is God who has done all this. Look to God. Look to God. Look to God. That is what salvation does. I'm going to tell you, just to make this incredibly appropriate and practical to our, our framework of theology current, so often we have whittled down our own salvation to, it just makes me feel better. We have taken this salvation that is meant to give God glory, and we've whittled it down to, now it makes me have a little bit of status. I'm a special person. Sure, we're in Christ. But as we see in this passage, the point of this is not to make us boast in ourselves. 
because Christ fully satisfied God's wrath for sin on the cross, God's righteousness was upheld. It was proven to be legitimate. And that's the point. What does salvation do? It shows God's righteousness. I love this. It proves that God can be trusted. That's what justification does. Justification displays and highlights this, His righteousness, God's righteousness. Even though God had postponed, or actually in the Old Testament, remember Old Testament history, prior to the Exodus, what did every single Hebrew family that didn't want to lose their firstborn do? Remember this? Painted the blood of the lamb over their doorpost. And then the death angel passed over. So, essentially what's happening in all of the Old Testament, you find this passing over of sin. Do you understand this? God is postponing the condemnation by His own forbearance. So then, if you were a Jew or any worshiper of Yahweh, you would think, what about this God? He's holy, but he hasn't really dealt with sin right. Sure, we see expressions of condemnation, but he hasn't dealt with the sin problem. Well, that's what Paul is right here saying. Jesus, well, God can be trusted. Why? Because God didn't ignore sin altogether. No, he dealt with sin on the cross of Calvary. Why justification, brothers and sisters in Christ? It is to show, to demonstrate that God can be trusted. God keeps His word and God truly is a God that is holy and deals with sin. This clearly is stated, I believe, in the purpose statement at the end. So that He might be just and the justifier at the same time. I don't want to add the scriptures right, but for explanation, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, in other words, of the sinner who needs Jesus. Right? Some of you who enjoy talking shop with Greek syntax, I know there's someone here that love that. You could take this conjunction and, and look at it more like, uh, it's called a concessive conjunction. So you could almost say, even though. So here's the concept. That God might be just, even through, or even though he justified. So he justified sinners, but this leads us right back to the primary question on all of the book. Do you remember the compelling question? Do you remember this one? How can a righteous God make an unrighteous person righteous and do it in a righteous way? What's the answer? Jesus. He might be the just, he might be just, and the justifier. The cross of Calvary proves that God is just and His wrath will be satisfied. He has not ignored His wrath. He has not changed His nature. No, His wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross. But then we also see that at the cross, remember this a couple weeks ago? At the cross, God's wrath and mercy meet in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what the next phrase is. He is just and the justifier. At the cross, we see the mercy of God poured out. So when we think about this God, we're not just cutting him in portions and saying, okay, this is a wrathful God. Sometimes, though, he shows his mercy, and sometimes he's loving, but other times, no, he's long-suffering, but other times he expresses wrath to people in all kinds of ways. No, this is God, all of it. 
You cannot tear this God apart. In fact, we'll see that in just a minute. God is one, as the passage says. So what is this passage proving? God Almighty is put on display through justification, and He is just and the justifier at the same exact time. Through the cross of Calvary. I appreciate how one commentator, his name is John Harvey, he summarizes this. The ultimate objective of God's public display of Christ as the propitiation, the satisfaction of wrath, is the vindication of God's righteousness. Do you ever think of it that way? The vindication of His righteousness. What's happening on the cross? God Almighty is being trusted. He's trusted to be who He said He was and to do what He said He would do. That's the beauty of the cross of Calvary. To summarize all of this, what has Paul just done? He has proven that justification proves that God's glorious nature, His character, is still intact. (laughs) Because of the cross, God's glorious character can be confidently put on display. God can be trusted because of justification. I believe Paul does through the Spirit, does so well to kind of summarize this in verses 29 to 31. I just want to kind of work through two of these verses, and then we'll mention 31. 31 is more of a transition into chapter 4. I'll mention it today, and then in a couple weeks, as we get into chapter 4, we'll we'll highlight it again. But 29 and 30 says it so well. Putting God's glory on display through justification. Here's what Paul says. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is not God the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. He answers his own diatribe type question here. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith or the Jew by faith and the uncircumcised or the Gentile through faith. Okay, what, is, what has Paul done? I don't want to complicate this. And, and really, it's, it's, it's wonderful. What has Paul just done? In very simple terms, he says this. Biblical monotheism is still intact through the cross. God, who he presented himself in the Old Testament, that's the same God. I love this. Is God the God just of the Jews, and then do the Gentiles have another God? No. He's one God, and here's the beauty of the cross of Calvary that we're going to see clearly unfold through the rest of the, the book of Romans. God is the God that brings the Jews and Gentiles into one through Jesus Christ. He is one. And so then we come to verse 31, and I'll just mention this. Like I said, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And this is exactly what we've been talking about through chapters 2 and 3. Here it is. God's law, is God's law worthless because of faith? Absolutely not. God's law is actually the tutor that walks us to the Christ, to the teacher. God's law is the one that says you need a rescuer. You need a rescuer. You need Jesus. Basically, I believe what Paul is mentioning, verse 31 here, is this. 
God can be trusted all the way through. God's Word can be trusted. He doesn't play double here. God doesn't say one thing and switch another one. No. God can be trusted. His very Word will be trusted. Okay, step back for a minute. What has Paul just done in verses 25 to 31? Here's what he's clearly done. Put God's glory on display. How awesome is that, brothers and sisters in Christ? Because as we've journeyed through Romans, we've seen the ugliness of the bad news. It gets real ugly, real bad. We've seen it clearly articulated. Then we come to this word justification, and Paul says, oh, wait a minute. But now, even when you were sinners, Jesus died for you. But you need to know something. Why did God Almighty do this? It wasn't for you to get a big head, puff out your shoulders, chin up, think you're all that. Why did he do this, my friends? It is to put God's glory on display. And by the way, it is God's exclusive glory. And how do we know that? Because this works into the second objective that Paul clearly makes in this section. You noticed we jumped right over verses 27 and 28 because this proves the second objective. First objective, justification is designed to demonstrate and display God's righteous character. Second objective of justification is this, to exclude man's ability to boast in himself. How does Paul state this? Verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. In other words, you don't have any. <laughs> you have no grounds. Um, I love coaching soccer. My kids are in it. But every once in a while, you'll have a new guy come to the team, and he thinks he's all of that. <laughs> and he steps out there, and you're like, oh, show me what you got. He does a couple things, like half trip over the ball, kicking away off the field, and he's got like, yes, I'm pretty good. And then you just put your head down, and it's like, for the sake of the game, yeah, brother, we got some improvement, but you, don't, you just want to yell, you're not as good as you think you are. <laughs> okay, in very practical terms, I think that we need to remember that as followers of Jesus Christ, born-again Christians. Sometimes we come to the game, and we're like, yes, I got all this. <laughs> Let me show you what I can do. And then we run to the scriptures and we see exactly what Jesus did. The perfect God-man who suffered and bled and died on our account, but the story doesn't stop there. He resurrected from the dead. And when you read through these passages about the resurrection, it's like, yeah, we'll beat that. <laughs> you can't. We can't. And then the story of the New Testament is now how we are brought into Christ. So the story is not how amazing I am or you are. It's how amazing God is. Well, that's what Paul is saying. Verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By the law of works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by by faith apart from the works of the law. Okay, the simple point is this. Because justification of condemned sinners is by faith and not by works, man simply cannot boast in his own ability. 
his own skill, his own merit, his own goodness. It's laughable to think that we can do that. In fact, this is not a new concept, is it? We find in the Old Testament that our righteousnesses are as filthy, what? Rags. And by the way, this is a very common theme throughout the entire New Testament of your Bible. As we right-size God and right-size ourselves. Simply enough, many of you are very familiar with the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, what does Paul clearly say? You know these verses. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift from God, not of works, so that no one may boast. I love how Paul says this to the church at Corinth. We're going to wrap this up in just a couple minutes. But listen to the, what Paul says to the church at Corinth. This is so good. You could write down 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31. Listen, just open your ears for a minute and listen to how Paul talks about this excluded boasting in, in 1 Corinthians. He says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise, according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are nothing or not to bring to nothing things that are. Here's the purpose statement in 1 Corinthians 1. So that no human being might boast in his presence. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is so good because what does salvation do? When we truly grasp the concept of, of salvation, justification, it excludes our boasting in ourselves, but then it transforms our boasting to Him. By the way, remember that concept when we get to Romans chapter 5 because very clearly, three times, Paul uses the exact same word for boast. And he says, okay, if you want something to boast about, let me give you something to boast about. Boast in this, that God Almighty is with you through your suffering right now. Boast in this because hope is being developed in your life right now through sickness and pain. Boast in that, that God is with you. Boast, in, and there's a couple of things we'll get there when we get, I'm not going to preach Romans 5 yet. What has Paul clearly done? He's demonstrated, displayed, God's righteous character can be trusted. And then also what he's done is he's mentioned that justification is designed to exclude man's ability to boast in themselves. Justification is not meant to display my goodness. It is meant to in every way to display God's unmatched glory. So what? Let's wrap this up. You've listened so well today. But we have to work through a question like this. Do we truly embrace the fact that salvation is meant to highlight God's glory? Not our glory. Have you ever, honestly, think about this. 
Have you ever dealt with this question in your life? Why did God save me? If you have not asked that question, I would encourage you to ask it multiple times every day through this week and meditate on this. Why did God save me? I don't want to take for granted that there's some here that, that are not believers and followers of Jesus Christ. And if that is you, then I think you would ask this question, why would God save me? But for those of us who have come to Jesus Christ and saving faith, why did God save me? Well, I mean, we're talking about the whole equation here. All of this salvation talk, and theology is called soteriology. Why any or all of this? What do I mean? Well, rebellion, condemnation, why incarnation, why crucifixion, why resurrection, why ascension, why intercession, why any of that? And then following it up with this, why regeneration, why redemption, why adoption, why justification, sanctification, transformation, glorification, why any of that? The biblical fact is None of this is meant to make me look really, really amazing. All of this is meant for me to realize that God is really, really amazing. We must right-size God as we right-size ourselves by never forgetting, never, ever forgetting that justification is designed to highlight God's unmatched glory. I'd like to, to close with this. And, and sometimes I close with a sermon excerpt from another guy or a song or something like that. I want to go today, close out with a passage of Scripture. I can't get this one off my mind. And I've already referenced Ephesians on several occasions. Ephesians chapter 1, if you want to write this down, you can. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. And I would encourage you to meditate on this passage this week. God is God and I am not. God is who he says he is, not who I want him to be. And when you come to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, three times, I mean, it was, I was, I've been overwhelmed reading through this and revisiting this this week. Three times he says this in this whole discussion of salvation, and I'll read it in just a minute. Three times he says this, this is all to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 6. Verse 12. This is to the praise of His glory. Verse 14. This is to the praise of His glory. Three times in this paragraph. It is one paragraph in the Greek. Why does He say these things? It is to remind us who God is. It is to help us to right-size who we are and to right-size who God is. And if you would just listen along this morning, I want to close out by jumping into Ephesians chapter 1, 3 to 14. Paul says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Chew on that for a little bit. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, he predestined us for adoption. That is such a key word in this whole discussion. Adoption. Wrap your mind around adoption. 
He predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. And what is the purpose of all that, my friends? To the praise of his glorious grace. With which he has blessed us in the beloved. The beloved is referring to Jesus. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things in earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to what? The praise of His glory. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And then the conclusion of this entire paragraph is what? To the praise of his glory. My brothers and sisters in Christ here, my friends, let us never forget that justification is designed to highlight God's unmatched glory. So God, that is the prayer of our hearts. So often we're tempted through our own remaining flesh to think pretty highly of ourselves to, to try to vie for position in the body of Christ, argue our way, think we somehow in and of ourselves have the right, the authority to demand. Oh God, I pray that you would give us the grace to right-size ourselves and to right-size you. Thank you for this very clear, very clear text of Scripture. That all of this, and we would see all of this unfold to the praise of your glorious grace. We understand, Father, that you have done all things for your glory and our good, but ultimately anything that has ever been done in this world will point as you fix all of this, we'll point to your amazing and unmatched glory. Give us grace to trust this and give us grace to obey this. My friends today here, thank you for sitting so and listening so well today. I hope you caught the very clear proposition of this sermon today, the theme of the sermon, that justification is for God's unmatched glory. My friends, today as we go our way, let us remember that we have a big God. 
by His grace, He has come down into this world through His Son, Jesus Christ, and He stood in that courtroom and He has declared us righteous through Jesus. My friends, would you meditate on that every moment of every day this week? Let this blow our minds. The God of all creation, the great creator and sustainer of all life, saved our souls through Jesus. There are some in this room that have never come to Jesus Christ in saving faith. You've never called on Jesus to save you. This is a faith that the scripture talks about. This true faith is a faith that is two sides of a coin. It is belief and it is repentance. It is trusting in God and it is remorse for my sin. It is a posture of, of repentance. And I would encourage you, if you've never come to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance, if you've never bowed the knee to this God that we talked of today, would today be that day? After the service this morning, there'll be several standing towards the front here, just waiting around. I would encourage you to go to one of those people and ask for some assistance, maybe some, some more information about what you heard today, and they would love to guide you as you consider your relationship with this great God, to call on Jesus to save your soul. There's others here today that have amazing burdens I'm going to tell you, these burdens get heavy when it's all about us. <laughs> I would encourage all of us here today to cast those burdens to the one that can actually do something for them, as we talked of last week. Casting all of your anxieties on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. This great God of all creation cares for your soul. So God, we thank you for the time we can spend today talking of your goodness and your glory, and I pray that it would mean something to us these would not be words that go in one ear and out the other. These would be words that stick this week. Give us grace to talk of your glory and to live your glory. Thank you for the time we could spend today, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, thank you for your attentiveness today. I know that God's doing a work in your heart. Sometimes we'll stop and we'll pray, and I'll... Ask ones to even respond now. I would encourage you, if God's pulling on your heart, do not ignore that. We're going to close out this, this service with an anthem of praise to our God. We're going to sing this awesome song. Oh, praise the name of the Lord Most High. Praise His name forever. If you know this, sing it out. Some of you need to stick around a little bit afterwards. You need to sit in your seat there and you need to pray. You need to come find someone to pray for, and I would encourage you to do that. Some of you need to go home and you need to find your knees by, beside your couch or your bed and call out to this almighty God. You need to open the Bible and you need to work through some of these, talk, this, these discussion points today. Don't ignore what God's doing in your heart right now. But thank you for joining us for worship today. There are some boxes in the back. Some of you came to share of your resources today in worship. That is the best way to do it or even online you can do it that way. Before we go, logistical piece here. Last week we, uh, we had to cancel our service uh, up at the, at the camp and we had to come here because of the smoke and whatnot. And we had a hard time reaching everyone. <laughs> we tried to post it on social media and on the website, tried to email and call, but we don't have everybody's information that comes across point. We would like to get that. 
So there in, in your bulletin today, you'll find this. Would you fill this out? The next two weeks, we're going to fill these out, and you can just drop it in those, those uh, boxes in the back. We would love to have your information. Whether you're a formal member here or just an attending person here, that is fine. Fill out your information so when something like that comes up next week, we don't have people traveling all the way up there for a service that's not happening. All right, so we can stay in touch with you. Thanks again for joining us. Would you stand today as we close out with this song, Oh, Praise the Name. <laughs>